Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, welcome back for another episode. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Hey, I wanted to thank those of you who have been writing reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it nowadays, and leaving us uh, just feedback on our podcast survey in general too. Uh, So you can find that link in the show notes actually, and we have it on our blog kind of next to the transcript. I don't really think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast before. It's always in the show notes, but we actually take all of those reviews Uh, from Apple Podcasts or iTunes and the survey responses. And we put those into consideration for a book drawing that we do about every two months. Um, And the recent winner was Joseph from Tennessee. And he selected Living Forward by a recent guest, Daniel Harkavy. So thanks to Joseph for the feedback and for winning the book. Uh, I hope you enjoy that book, Joseph. And for those of you who didn't know that we have a book drawing uh, for you know feedback that you provide, please continue to do that. Uh, we'll continue to do the book drawing as long as we keep getting feedback and reviews on the podcast. So uh, we appreciate that because it helps us shape future content. On today's episode, I invited Roberta Matchison. She is the author of The Magnetic Leader, which is actually the topic of our discussion for today. And she's the author of Suddenly in Charge. And we talk about that book a little bit as well. She is the founder of Matchison Consulting, and she is a contributor on LinkedIn Pulse, where you can find many of her articles. And that's actually how I found her. And I mentioned that later uh, in a discussion with her. So... I wanted to let you know that I enjoyed the book, The Magnetic Leader, and the discussion. And as I'm really trying to develop myself into becoming the best leader I possibly can, I just love the way Roberta articulated what it takes to be a magnetic leader. It really resonated with me, and I I really hope you feel the same. So enjoy the interview with Roberta Matchison. She's the author of The Magnetic Leader, How Irresistible Leaders Attract Employees, Customers, and Profits. Hey, Roberta, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So you wrote the book, The Magnetic Leader, How Irresistible Leaders Attract Employees, Customers, and Profits. And I'm really curious how this book came about, like why you wrote the book, how you wrote the book. I mean, did you set out to write the book on magnetic leadership or did you just happen to, you know, line up a bunch of interviews and this this topic really came as a result of all that research you've done? Well, I think it was a combination of life just unfolding as well as circumstance. And what I mean by that is when I wrote my last book, um, Talent Magnetism, when I write books, I don't usually read them until I'm done writing them. And when I got to the end of that book, I realized that an organization's ability to attract and retain talent is completely dependent upon the leaders. 
And I found that those organizations that had what I call magnetic leaders did a much better job than those <clears throat> who didn't. So I thought, okay, let me, let me write about how does one become a magnetic leader? In the intro, you, <laughs> you said that with all the people you'd interviewed for the book, you asked what they wish they'd changed about their manager. And this actually kind of made me sick. Uh, you said the second most popular answer was to have them quit. It seems harsh, but were you surprised by the answer? What, and what what was kind of the what was your take on that? Well, that actually came out as a result of a study done by Tiny Pulse, and yeah. when I saw that study, I just I mean I laughed, and then I had to stop laughing, and I said, "Oh my gosh, that's just like so sad." So uh, it just really struck a core because you know. People hear all the time how people leave leaders, they don't leave companies, and, and they don't believe it. But in reality, that's really what happens. In your findings, you also you came to the realization, and you kind of you set the foundation for the entire book, you came to the realization that making workplaces more human could actually make a drastic shift and help engage employees much more than they already are. How do, how do leaders make the workplace more human? Well, I think the ones who do it most successfully look at work from the perspective of their employees <clears throat> and they treat their employees like they really matter as opposed to some organizations that just kind of churn people because they just see the people as bodies. Something in particular jumped off the page at me when you, you talked about subcultures. And I've, I've heard this from a lot of different people. You, you talked about how somebody could say how amazing their company is to work for and, you know, just scream it from the rooftops. Yet another person in the same company could say how awful it is. How does that even happen? Well, let's just take the example that I see with some of my clients when we're looking at their sales organization versus their customer service department. And, you know, when you walk in, you can see that it's sunny in sales and it's like raining in customer service. I mean, people are crying at their desks and, you know, it's a completely different environment. And, and you can see the results and look at the turnover that happens as a result of that. So I definitely wanted to lay the foundation for like what some of the underlying issues that come up in the organizations are. And a lot of them, it seems, have to do with leaders. So then you bring up this concept of the magnetic leader, which is the title of your book. How do you describe this type of leader? What is a magnetic leader? This is the kind of leader that attracts top talent. And people, when they come to work for these leaders, they, they stick to them, as opposed to what I reference um, in the book as the Teflon leaders, which is what I call those non-stick leaders where, you know, they're constantly repelling talent. You brought up such a great point in the book about how hiring costs are usually minimal with the magnetic leader. How so? Well, when you think about it, when someone's magnetic, they usually have a line of people <clears throat> outside the door wanting to come work for them. And so they don't have to spend a lot of money on you know, working with a third-party recruiter. They just dial into their network or they see that, hey, you know, I've got three people that I know who've reached out to me in the last month. And any one of these people would be great for my team. Can you give some examples of how they might do that? Like, so they obviously have a reputation of some sort. Are they sending an email out? Are they are they hitting the Twitter feed? What, what are they doing to sort of get people lined up right as soon as the new jobs open? 
Well, usually they don't have to do much because they just look inside, you know, their folder and they see the resumes of people who they've recently met who have reached out to them and said, you know, hey, Joe, I've heard you run an incredible shop here. I'd love to come work for you. And so those people are already in the queue. If listeners today are kind of thinking like, oh, I wonder how many magnetic leaders I actually have in my organization, what are some of the questions they should consider just to determine if they have those types of leaders in their organization? Well, I would first think about um, who in the organization, when they have a job opening, everybody wants to transfer in that department and they want to work for that person because there's always somebody in the company that's like that as opposed to the ones where, you know, you've got somebody who just can't seem to keep jobs filled. Are those just really two simple ways to identify if you have a magnetic leader or the, you know, the Teflon nonstick type of leader that you described? Well, you know, the thing about magnetism is you can really feel it. So, I mean, when you, when you're around a magnetic leader, I mean, let's just take Bill Clinton, for example, regardless of what you think about his, you know, run as president or his politics. One thing you can absolutely say about that man was that he was charismatic and he attracted people. And so these, this is what happens with these magnetic leaders. They just attract the talent and they're able to maximize that talent and get incredible results. When employees get a chance to have this type of leadership, the, the magnetic leader that you described, and hopefully they, des- you know, they deserve that type of leader, I think we all do, what sort of behaviors come as a result from the employee's perspective? Like, you know, if I get a magnetic leader, what type of behaviors as an employee am I uh, sort of, you know, having throughout the workplace? They're going to do whatever you want them to do. They're going to take initiative. They're going to do whatever makes you as a leader look good because they're so thrilled to be working with somebody like you. You mentioned that magnetic leaders often will seek feedback. That's really common, right? So getting feedback from their employees and then using that in some way to either make changes for themselves with their employees throughout the organization. I'm really curious how you suggest leaders solicit feedback in the first place and what sort of agreements they have kind of set up for that. And also what kind of tools and the frequency in which they um, will actually seek that feedback. And then what do they do with it? Well, here's what I tell my coaching clients. I I suggest that they go to their people and they sit down one-on-one and just say, hey, listen, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being high, how would you rate the performance of me as a leader? And so they're going to say, oh, probably an eight, right? Because, of Mm -hmm. course, they're not going to say a two. And then the follow-up question is, what would it take to make me a 10? And that's the key, because then they're going to tell you all these things like, well, you know, if you could be a little more flexible, well, could you give me an example? And so that's where you can really identify those areas that if you can improve, you can hit that 10. Uh, so I like that. Like you're asking the feedback in a one-on-one setting. Is there are there any other ways that you like soliciting feedback th- throughout an organization? Maybe kind of in a standardized process. Well, I do a lot of what's called 360s. So when I work with an executive um, or a new leader in their on their management style, I'll talk with people who they report to. I'll talk to their team members. Sometimes I'll talk to customers, and I'll get a pretty good idea of where their strengths are all around, as well as some areas of needed development. And, you know, whenever you do a 360, 
you know, whether somebody hires me to do it or someone else, you always want to use an external resource because people are never going to be completely honest if it's somebody in the company. I mean, that's just human nature. You, uh, you'd you referenced earlier when you're talking about a study from Tiny Pulse, and I understand that they do, I think it's regular weekly kind of check-ins uh, just about how people are feeling and and just get really just getting feedback and documenting it somehow. Do you, do you recommend a tool like that or any others that kind of help streamline the feedback loop? Well, I think those tools can be really helpful, but they should be used in conjunction with conversations. And, you know, being in an environment and creating an environment where people feel comfortable expressing their opinions. I mean, that's really the key. We talked a little bit about the the Teflon effect of nonstick leadership in, in chapter three. I love the way you described uh, leaders who make outrageous demands. And it sounded like you had a little bit of uh, a, you know personal reflection, uh, maybe early on in your career. <laughs> So this I is where, them. <laughs> oh no! So it's like it's basically you're just expecting the people to to work and be connected twenty four seven, and you know make an almost an assumption they don't have any life outside of work. So you had a personal experience. Can you can you share that story? I thought it was I thought it was yes. It was I'd be happy to. Um, when I wrote my first book, Suddenly in Charge, um, I wrote a letter to my employees, everyone who had ever worked for me. I wrote an apology. And I apologized for everything that I had ever done to them. And I posted that. You can probably find that on CBS Interactive. And I got a slew of responses from people saying, oh, my goodness, I wish my boss would apologize. And, you know, one of the things that I did as a new leader, you know, I had no idea that people had lives. Like they had families. Like I didn't. I was single. I had no life. So I expected everybody else to not have one. And as a result, you could just imagine what it must have been like to work for me. I have a life now, so I understand, but <laughs> I'm trying to make sure that other people don't have a similar experience and be the kind of leader I Yeah, and so you recommend like people really separate and and just make sure that they have lives outside of work and that leaders are really just not trying to overlap and impede on on that kind of personal life that they have. Yeah, they have to you have to set boundaries. And the new edition of Suddenly in Charge is coming out in September, and I probably am going to have to write another apology. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put a link up to that the book. Are you doing any pre-selling for that yet? Um, Yes, I believe it's available now. Perfect. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. Uh, so we hear, at least I hear it all the time, because I'm, of course, trying to compile and develop content all the time for our audience. But uh, I think HR people a lot of time and leaders, they hear this, the costs of an employee turnover, like it, without really putting a lot of thought into the costs and consider really all the factors that contribute to the just the bottom line costs of people turning over. You broke it down really well in your book. Can you break it down a, a little bit for us? Just what what's included in that? Well, I'll tell you what, I can do even better because mm-hmm. on my website, matchesonconsulting.com, there is a free tool that your listeners can go to and oh, put awesome. their numbers in and it will calculate it for you. And so in that tool is, you know, everything from cost of losing a customer, the cost of not being able to bring on new business because you don't have the people to service that business, to how much does it cost to get that job posted, and how much time is is your manager spending interviewing people, and what does it cost to train that person, et cetera, et cetera. 
I mean, when people use these formulas that, you know, two times, three times, that just drives me crazy. And it's real, it's a real turnoff to CEOs because they know that it's not three times, you know, but when you can give your CEO a real number, it makes a huge difference. To your point, I've, I've also heard that the two times, three times number, but it's, those are just really, those are assumptions. That's it. Like having actual breakdown of cost, that is really what a CEO would want to see. I mean, let's just take a simple example. Let's just say you're hiring a receptionist. And let's just say you live in a major city like I do, where that person's going to make maybe 60000 a year, believe it or not. I, there is no way that it's going to cost you $180,000 to replace that person unless your last receptionist really ticked off a customer. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to be realistic. Could it cost you $180,000 if that person was a sales rep? You know, absolutely. And the, the reason I really brought up the cost of employee turnover, for one, it, it definitely it struck a chord with me because I, I've never seen it broken down that way. But uh, on the other side of it, like your, your whole thesis behind the book is the magnetic leader and how people just usually don't leave a magnetic leader. You even talked about the CEO at Basecamp, how they, they, he's a great leader and offers a lot of unique benefits and people just don't leave. So it's hard. It's impossible to get a job there. Exactly. Talk about some of those attributes of a magnetic leader. You list seven in, in uh, part two of your book. Talk about some of the ones that are most important, most important from your perspective. Because we, I, I, we can't go over all of them, but I'd love to just chat about a couple of them if you can. Well, the most important is authenticity. And magnetic leaders, they really don't try to be someone else. And they don't change who they are based on office politics. They are who they are. And so you don't have to worry that, you know, today Joe's a really great guy. And tomorrow when you walk in, you know, he's busting everybody's butts over getting things done. You know, they're very consistent and they don't try to be someone they're not. And then the second trait would be um, transparency. You know, they're very honest and upfront with you. And if they ask you to do something, they tell you why they want you to do it. You know, they're not going to allow you to go buy a new house when they know that next week there's going to be a reduction in force. They may not tell you that there's going to be a reduction next week, but they will tell you, you know what, why don't you just hold off a little bit longer? And um, there's some things happening I can't tell you right now, but they will signal to you. So I find it interesting that you know, your your two favorites are the the authenticity and just transparency. And I, to me, I'm just making an assumption. I feel like that's what's missing in, in big business today and in politics is just people have, there's no transparency, authenticity. You just don't know what to believe. And part oh, yeah. of that, it's perpetuated by media, of course, but there, there's some truth to a lot of the stuff. It's like, how do you resonate with a leader and trust them when you, you don't know if they're being authentic or not? Well, you don't. And so you think nothing of leaving them. Yeah. That is a, it's a fantastic point. You offer several great hiring strategies in your book. And I want to pull the thread on one of them because there's a lot of great ideas in that. Uh, this, this one in particular is, is great. You said, stop requiring college degrees where college degrees aren't necessary. I think it's just everybody's got a college degree now. So when we're recruiting for a new position, we have to put it in the job description like this is a requirement. But what's your reasoning behind this? Okay. Well, I do have to say before I answer that question... Yeah. 
that I do have a son who is going to be starting college in the fall. So um, it's, you know, it really depends on what the job requirements yeah. really are. And, you know, you don't need a college degree to be a receptionist. You don't need a college degree to be an administrative person. You do need critical thinking skills and you need good organizational skills. But, you know, I've seen companies require, like I said, their receptionist to have a college degree. I'm not sure why. If we want great employees to stay with us, what are they expecting from their leaders to stay in an organization? Well, they're expecting that those leaders will invest in their development, that they will um, really mentor them um, and coach them so that they can be a better version of themselves. They expect that they'll be given opportunities to promote rather than watching new people coming in from the outside. Uh, they, They expect to be treated with dignity and respect. I mean, if you can believe this, because people write to me all the time, there are some managers out there that still yell and scream at their employees. Mm. Wow. I mean, I, I thought that went away in the in the 70s, I but apparently so, yeah. not. So I want to I go back to, I mentioned the Basecamp CEO, and, and you, you really talked about how, uh, I think in a lot of tech spaces, they're, they're competing with each other to offer you know, free food and candy and, and kegs at 4 p.m. or throughout the day or whatever, and just all these unique little perks but if everybody's doing it, it's not that unique anymore is that a, is that a good way to engage employees or is there other ways to do it well i think if you ask your employees most would say that they would rather have the money that you're spending on the keg <clears throat> on the keg and on the free lunches like they'd rather have that in their paychecks <laughs> so that yeah. they could go buy you know they could go out to lunch once a week if they chose to so you know i wrote this Uh, piece for the Boston Business Journal. And I said, all the free beer in the world, it's not going to make employees delusional enough to stay when they have a leader who they don't respect. I think you'd mentioned uh, later on in your book about how purpose was so important to keep keep uh, employees engaged, really. It's being knowing that their contributions are are being tied to a a greater good. Uh, Talk about that. Well, today, especially the millennials, I mean, it is such a purpose-driven generation. They really want to see a connection between what they're doing and how that work connects with doing good for the world. And so companies really need to help them connect the dots because not every job, you know, let's just say you're a sanitation worker and you might say, well, well, how does that, you know, tie into the purpose of the world? Well, you know, if you're helping people do a better job of recycling, well, you're making the environment cleaner. I mean, you have to really do a better job of tying that in so that people can connect the dots because they sometimes they're not able to do that on the, by themselves. What are some ways that magnetic leaders can help employees at all levels, whether you're the, the janitor, the customer service rep, or an executive, how, how do they make sure that those employees are always tied to that, that purpose and understand what their contributions are, are making? Well, it has to be uh, weaved into the purpose of the organization and the mission of the organization. I mean, some companies you know, say that their mission is to make money for their stockholders. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a purpose. <laughs> You know, I mean, I once worked in a private um, financial consulting firm, and I think our company's purpose was to make the owners wealthier. 
like that didn't really connect with me and I wasn't there for very long. Yeah, I I mean personally I I see profit and money as a byproduct of offering something that the market wants and I think uh you, you know your whole point about magnetic leadership and just how you know it starts there with great leadership and a really strong purpose and then that is and then the money is a, is a result of all that. Do you yes, agree? Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I mean, look, companies are in business to make money. And if they don't make money, then you and I, you know, anyone who works in an organization isn't going to have a job. And so I think it would be kind of silly for us to say, well, they shouldn't make money. They, they're there to make money. But those companies that really, you know, serve their employees well, make higher profits than those who don't. What's your take on recognition and appreciation programs of some sort? Have you seen any really good ones out there? And what's your kind of take on it? You know, I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen any really good ones out there. But what I have seen, and, and it was done to me, is when a manager <clears throat> manager gets to know their employee and rewards them with something that's truly meaningful and, and means something to the individual. And so, so in my case, um, I worked for a magnetic leader and, um, I really wanted to go see a Phil Collins concert and it was sold out. And I guess I must've mentioned it to him somewhere in passing because uh, a week later he called me into his office and he said, you know, Roberta, you've done such a great job. I just want to give this to you. And I saw he had an envelope and I thought to myself, is he really going to hand me a check for 500 bucks? Because wow. I've been killing myself. <laughs> and instead, he handed me two, you know, floor seats to a Phil Collins show. Unreal. Wow. And, he, and here I am. It's been 20 years and I'm still talking about it. That he, he took the time to pay attention to what you really wanted. And that's, I think, to yeah. your point, like what a magnetic leader does gets, gets to know their employee and, and it delivers. Now, if he hadn't and he gave me the 500 bucks, we'd be talking about that and not in a positive way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. So me being in marketing, I've always been a huge proponent of just building a strong personal brand. Actually, I work with a, a lot of HR consultants in my organization at Zenium. And uh, I'm always advocating for them to build a strong personal brand because they're working with executives and I want them to, to be out there and to, to have a really good reputation. I think especially in leadership, it just seems like it's a requirement with especially all the digital tools that we have. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on the personal brand just as it relates to leaders spending time on it? Oh my goodness. Um, in, in the new book, Suddenly in Charge, I talk all about the need to, um, you know, shout so that you can be heard in a sea of cubicles and you have to self-promote and it's really hard to stand out. And, and I think what I, what I have found, and they can send their hate mail to you, um, anyone, <laughs> is that particularly women have a very difficult time uh, self-promoting and, and if they don't, then they're disappointed when their male coworkers do. And so that all goes around this concept of branding yourself. And maybe you went through a period where it was, you struggled self-promoting, but ironically, this is how I found you. I, a colleague of mine forwarded me one of your LinkedIn Pulse articles on employee engagement. I read it, loved it. And then I saw at the very bottom, you had a book 
So then I, I think I immediately reached out to you and I just said, Hey, would love to have you on the podcast. And then I went out and got the book and read it. I mean, just that, that's how, to me, that's exactly how a strong personal brand works. Your reputation, your content, your thought leadership speaks for itself. And people just, to your point in the whole book, the magnet just draws people in. Well, I have to tell you, LinkedIn is just such a cool tool. Um, I just put up a post on three signs that someone isn't coachable. And in less than a week, I've had 165,000 views. What? Yeah, 13,000, you know, shares, thousands of comments. And I'm building my brand, you know, courtesy of LinkedIn. So I would suggest that <clears throat> your listeners, you know, use that tool. It's, it's free. Why not? Are you, this is just kind of the, the sales and marketing person in me. Are you always trying to drive people to buy your book at the end of each one of those articles? Because that's a lot of, that's a lot of impressions, a lot of views. Hopefully well, you're getting I'm, some conversion on that. <laughs> I'm not driving them to buy my book. I'm driving them to engage with me and yeah. have conversations because, you know, as an author, my, you know, you, you don't make any money on these books. No, of course believe not. Me. But it's I get hired to be a speaker. I keynote at conferences. I keynote inside organizations. People reach out to me for executive coaching. And if they buy a book, I'm really thrilled. But the real, you know, conversion is when you get known and you are the person like I am, you're known as the person that maximizes talent. Or Roberta, this has been a, a, an awesome conversation. I appreciate your time. Let's put a bow on this. Anything else that I missed? Anything you want to say about magnetic leadership um, or any links and resources you want to drive people to? Well, I, um, there's tons of articles that are free on my website. That's Matchison. M-A-T-U-S-O-N, consulting.com. If people want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, feel free to send me an invite. If you send a note saying that you heard me on this podcast, then I'll most certainly accept your request because we'll know each other, right? And, um, you know, keep the conversation going. This, it is so achievable to become a magnetic leader. And, uh, you know, you don't have to do everything, but you do have to do something. Roberta Matchison, thank you for coming on the podcast and thank you for writing the book, The Magnetic Leader. It was, it was a good one. I recommend uh, people pick it up. It's, it's excellent content. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com. <laughs>